going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. That's right, it is the Going Deep podcast, and we got the matchup coming into the FIBA World Cup. We wanted Canada versus USA for a medal, but the color of that medal is bronze. It's not gold. Germany and future Raptor, I guess current Raptor, although he hasn't suited up yet, but he's on the team. Dennis Schroeder knocks out the United States, and Canada was knocked out by a really gutsy Serbian team, which gives us... A real good matchup on Sunday morning. One that isn't for the medal maybe that we thought a couple days ago. But at the beginning of this tournament, if we knew Canada was playing for any color medal, we would be super excited. I've been really excited to listen to the calls with sleep in my eyes, but a smile on my face. And I believe that's probably the case for our next guest. The man who's called the games for us, Dan Schulman. He's on his way to call Blue Jays games this weekend, but Canada basketball close to his heart, and he'll be on the microphone bringing you FIBA coverage into the final. So let's catch up with him right now to find out what this experience and the roller coaster that Canada basketball has brought us on has been. We go deep with a sleep-deprived but very prideful Dan Schulman. So Serbia wins 95 to 86 to advance to the gold medal game. Canada fought but dealt with foul trouble. Had to get very creative defensively and really all credit to Serbia. They are a great team and they played extremely well. So Dan, thank you for taking the time. Uh, My Jamaican family makes fun of me because to be Jamaican you have to have two or three jobs and I only can focus on one. You're doing multiple. You're getting up in the middle of the night and calling basketball games and now literally driving to call a baseball game. Before I even get to what Canada is doing and what it's been like, what has the last couple weeks been like for you to, to call baseball in person and basketball on a monitor and, you know, talk to Canadians about these two vastly different sports going on right now that we really yeah. care about. Yeah, it's been very fun. And, and I, you know, I asked for this as soon as I found out a couple of years ago, Donovan at Sportsnet had the rights to Canada basketball. I went to the powers that be and I said, if we can figure out a way to make this work, can we please figure out a way to make this work? And, you know, then when the schedule started coming out, I wouldn't say it was a hard sell, but I had to convince people that this was doable. And so the, the last week while the Blue Jays were on the road, I wasn't with them. I did. I double dutied for about six days and then just Canada. Now I've got three, four days of double duty again. But really the only it's a blessing and a curse. The only thing that makes it work is that the games are on the other side of the planet. So the times don't conflict with the Blue Jays at all. But that also means I set my alarm for 245 this morning to be at the studio by 330 because we were on air at 430. So um, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm uh, a little bit tired, and I've had a little bit too much caffeine, more than I normally like to have. But it's, uh, you know, a short-term thing. 
And, you know, as you know, I love these two sports. These are my two sports, right? And, and you know, the, the Canada basketball thing, the World Cup, that doesn't come around very often. So I'm thrilled that I've been able to do it. I don't know how many of the games you've been able to see, but, you know, I've had a lot of people say to me, boy, dude, we didn't know you were so into this, you know, because there just hasn't been that much of it on television. But uh, I've been thrilled to do it. Uh, and whatever happens Sunday against the U.S., I think Canada's done great, and there's a lot of good stuff to build on. Uh, and now, you know, as I, I'm talking basketball to you, and 30 minutes from now, I'll flip the page and be a baseball announcer for the next day and a half till I flip back to basketball Sunday morning. Well, I wonder if one of those powers that be, if your household is at all like mine, was your wife, because it is a huge commitment and you are getting up late. But I, I wonder, you've, you've done almost everything that you can do in our industry. And certainly at this point, you know, if Canada qualified, you could have jumped the queue and said, hey, I would love to be part of the Olympic movement. Why was this opportunity important to you? I, I mean, Canada basketball is just something I've always loved. but And, and you know, I followed it as... I mean, I don't want to put myself at the front of the line or anything, but I have followed it a lot over the years. And as you know, for the most part, when these games were played, most of the time they weren't on TV, right? You know, we were trying to figure out how to stream them and what service we needed and all that. But, I mean, if you go back a while, like that 2015 America's qualifier in Mexico City when they lost to Venezuela, I did those games. Um, the Victoria Olympic qualifying tournament. I did those games, you know, so like I've actually, uh, and then I did the Olympics for CBC in 2021. Our women were there, but our men weren't there. So I've actually tried to do um, as much of this as can be done over the last few years. But I think, uh, and this is the only time I'll ever put myself and Shay Gilgis Alexander in the same sentence. I promise you that. But like Shay said, this combines two of my loves, Canada and basketball. So it's, it's really, you know, it's really no deeper than that. Um, I've just always, like yourself and many others, I've always kind of dreamt of what if, right? And what if became a lot more of a reality this year. It's wonderful to see they're playing for a medal. They can build on this, maybe even be bigger and deeper and stronger for Paris next year. But um, I, I've just, like many others, just kind of seen the possibilities and have followed from afar uh, and just am thrilled at the culture that they're building right now and the direction the program's headed in. Well, there has been that what if factor, but there's also the what shoe is about to drop factor that Canada basketball fans know too well as there is something going to happen. A weird refereeing decision or a team yeah. shooting much better than they've ever shot before or someone not being available because of contracts or health. And I can't lie, I've enjoyed watching the tournament but I've watched it with a high heart rate at early times in the morning because I'm always expecting some sort of disaster around the corner. For you, you're, you're, you're calling the game, you're focused on the storytelling, but when that what-if became a reality and that ticket was actually punched, what was that moment like for you? It was exhilarating, I'm not going to lie. It, it, it's, uh, the Spain game was as exciting as any event I've ever called, and I really mean that, whether it's Duke Carolina College basketball or World Series or whatever. Um, and, and because, as you said, we all kind of watch it like covering one eye and going, oh, God, what's going to happen here? You know, and, and there were a couple of what's going to happen. Um, Jamal Murray, who we thought was going to play, didn't play. Not passing judgment, just saying Jamal Murray 
you know, didn't play. You know, the, the draw they had was unfavorable, and then the Brazil game, right? Because they start slowly against France. They blow them out. Wild. This, it's a party. They blow out Lebanon, as expected. They start slowly against Latvia. Uh-oh, here come the ghosts again. And then they blow Latvia out. They win by 26. And now it looks like cruise control, and then wham, here comes the Brazil game. And the Brazil game, as you know, made the Spain game a must-win. Like, that's what it was. It was must-win. If they had beaten Brazil, they had some margin for error. So going into that Spain game, which I think was a week ago, but seems like a lot longer, eight days, I can't, I, I, I honestly don't know, but seems like a long time ago now. Um, you know, that Spain game brought back all the old tension and uh-ohs. And when they found a way to win that game after being down 10 at halftime, coming back and then being down 12 at the end of the third quarter, um, you know, Alvin Williams has learned a lot about my highs and lows over the last couple of weeks as we've gotten to know each other. And he gets it now. But I kept saying to him, like, dude, there's a lot of history behind this. And I made this analogy elsewhere. It's like when Jose Bautista hit the home run for the Blue Jays in 2015. It's like 22 years of ghosts went away for the Blue Jays. And this was like 23 years of ghosts went away for the men, just the men's side. We're talking about Canada basketball. And, yes, they lost – uh, today uh, in their semifinal, but you know, winning the quarterfinal um, and and uh, beating Slovenia and getting into the semis, even with the loss in the semifinals, uh, I, I think the ghosts are gone. They qualified for the Olympics. And let me throw a question at you: If I had said to you two weeks ago, I won't give you any other details, but I'll tell you they're going to qualify for the Olympics. Do you accept that? Job done. Job done. Job done. Right. Anything else is gravy. Anything else is a bonus. A medal would be a bonus. I don't if they lose to the U.S., I don't want people to go, oh, man, what a disappointment they finished for. This has been a, a, a great, great World Cup for Canada. Um, sure, our expectations are higher, but we should not sneer at fourth place in the world because, you know, uh, France and Spain and Australia, they would all trade places with that in a heartbeat. Argentina didn't even make the World Cup. Like, this is a great step forward, but in, in a weird kind of reverse psychology way, this is going to make them hungrier for Paris, and they're going to learn from the experience, and I think they'll bolster the roster if they can a little bit. This is all part of building the culture. This is not a team anymore. This is a program. This is a culture, and I think that's the best part. Well, as I saw Germany really go away from the U.S., and control that game, I thought to myself, this is either going to be a beautiful blessing or it's going to be a bit of a curse. Because yeah. if you're playing United States you know, in the bronze medal game one, uh, people just love Canada, USA, no matter what. But if, if you beat the USA, then this, it's going to be a story and it's going to be picked up and it's going to continue the momentum and there'll be a honeymoon impact coming off this tournament. But if you lose to the USA and you don't come home with a medal and you leave losing too straight, I, I'm afraid people will think that this tournament wasn't a positive performance. Do you share that fear? I think some people will, but I don't think people should feel that at all. And I actually tweeted that out a couple of hours ago. Like, there have been a lot of W's here, some of the stuff we just talked about. They've learned so much about themselves. And these guys have gotten experience. You know, a Lou Dort and an Akil Alexander-Walker and a Shea, and they've all played a little bit of international basketball, but not this much and not at this level. And now they know what they are, and now they know what they need. Um, if they win to the U.S., 
that's that's a phenomenal World Cup to beat the U.S. and win a medal and deny them a medal. And I think if they lose to the U.S., it's the U.S. and it's not their A team, but it's twelve pretty good NBA players. And and you know I think the overall story of this World Cup is how good basketball is globally right now. Germany's not a fluke. They're great. And Serbia's not a fluke. And you know what? Spain could be here, or Lithuania could be here, or Latvia could be here, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, but to get back to your question, I don't think people, know, I, I don't care if they lose by 50, and they're not going to. This, uh, this, to me, has been a positive, positive development for the men's program uh, at Canada Basketball. I, I think the camaraderie and the shared experience that those 12 players have had is enough to make every single one of them want to play in Paris. Now, there will be a couple of changes, I think. I don't think there will be widespread changes, but there will be a couple of changes. But, um, uh, yeah, I think this is all positive stuff. They easily could have lost that game to Spain, and we'd be having a much, much, much different conversation right now. So, uh, you know, as you said, job done, right? Uh, job done. Anything else uh, is gravy, and, and hopefully uh, hopefully there will be some good gravy on Sunday morning. Well, I think what – I've learned really, and you talk about how good the rest of the world is. Look at that Serbian team. You know, they go to the Olympics next year, and assuming health, they add a multi time MVP, finals MVP, and right. Nikola right. Jokic. Like the level that we might see next summer, assuming everyone is interested to be at the Paris Olympics, is going to be really, really high, which means you have to, you know, put your best foot forward. And that begs the question. And I think you're alluding to it with your answer in terms of what do you think this roster looks like moving forward, given how young it is, which you talked about on the broadcast today, but but given that they asked for a commitment, a multi-summer right. commitment of that core, and to be a deterrent to, to not show up as you please, but also to build some chemistry and camaraderie, how do you think that's going to play out when there's only really 12 spots to get on that plane to go to Paris? Right, so that's the big question, and everybody's going to start playing that game in 48 hours, and, it, and they'll play that game for months and months and months. Every time player X comes to Toronto with his NBA team, the microphones will be in his face, and I get it. Um, so as you said, they asked for a multi-year commitment, um, and I think the seven NBA guys who are on the team this year, I don't see any way that any of them are not back, assuming they want to be back. Um, Jamal Murray was one of the guys who made the commitment. Now he didn't play in this event, but he was at training camp, you know, and it was, it was described as a medical situation, the knee and playing, you know, through to the NBA championship into the middle of June and all that. So I think if Jamal Murray wants to play, Jamal Murray's going to play. The issue for me, um, and, and I don't know the answer to this is like you said, they asked for a commitment and they got a commitment. Uh, but the guys who didn't give them a commitment, what if Brandon Clark or Trey Lyles or Andrew Wiggins says, I want to play? I don't know the answer to that because those guys did not make the three-year commitment. They were not at training camp. They didn't play in the, you know, the winter America's qualifiers that helped Canada uh, make it to the World Cup. So I, I don't know if those guys will be invited in. And then you've got another group, the younger guys, who it's not that they wouldn't make the commitment. It's that they were in college, like Andrew Nemhard and Shaden Sharp and Benedict Matherin. Like, these are great players. Um, but do you turn your back on a Melvin Edgem, who is you, or a Phil Scrub, who, as you know, have played for this country everywhere that you can play? 
these are complicated things because, you know, in theory, the commitment should go both ways, right? Players committing to the program. Yeah. Program committing to the players. Um, But I, I think all of them go in with an understanding that there could be changes, but I think it's a, it's a delicate thing and, and time will tell, um, you know, they, they do need another ball handling guard. That can be Jamal Murray, obviously, if he commits, I think they need a good shooter, a really good, you know, just a knockdown shooter if they can find it. And what they clearly need is a little more depth up front. Not that Olenek and Powell are, you know, uh, great FIBA players and have done their job for many years, but I think they need one more, uh, you know, legitimate big body who can play at the level of the top European players. And I don't know if that Brandon Clark, you know, you never hear Chris Boucher's name. Like is Chris Boucher a possibility? I don't know the answer to any of this, but I, I think it's, it's not nearly as surface a topic as some fans might want to believe, because I think a lot went into those commitments and, um, it, and, and, and I'm sure that it's a two way commitment. So I'm sure there are going to be some very uh, interesting conversations and hard decisions ahead for Canada basketball. But, you know, this is where you're at. You're not begging guys to play anymore. You're hopefully taking the best that you can, but I think there's a limit to how much they can do that because of the, the, you know, the commitments that have been made. I'm not a historian, but was it Ronald Reagan who said, Trust but verify. And then Dan Campbell, uh, after Thursday night football, said he didn't learn anything about his team, but what he knew was verified. I don't know if I learned anything about Shea Gildas Alexander, but what I believed has been verified. Being around the program and and calling the games, have you learned anything about him? Yes. Um, I I learned that he deserves to be acknowledged as one of the best players in the world. Like, it's funny that... The narrative, like outside Canada, say the U.S. narrative heading into the Slovenia game, I heard more about Luca than I did about Shea. And I don't know about you, if if they're both standing there and I get to pick a guy, I'm taking Shea, I, I think. And, and Agreed. I think he, you know, he learned how to adjust to the more physical brand of basketball. Um, and, and it is. And I said to Alvin Williams off air and on, I believe a 40-minute FIBA game is more physically and mentally taxing than a 48-minute NBA game. You know, Alvin talked about to me, in the NBA, if you're on the weak side of the court, sometimes you're just kind of watching. There's no watching in, in FIBA because they're reversing the ball. And the weak side is where the action is sometimes. You know, the strong side is like a, a red herring, and then boom, here it comes. here comes the action on the weak side that leads to the bucket. Like you got to have your head on a swivel and you're, you've got to be as alert as you can be physically and mentally every single second you're on the court uh, in a FIBA game. And, and I learned that Shea Gilchrist Alexander can do all that and still be the best player on the court. He's the face of the program. He's the best player in the program. Um, and, and I think he's been as valuable to his team, his country is uh, as anybody has, you know, and, and, when the best player on the team works as hard as he works and cares as much as he cares, that's all good stuff. When If the best player on the team is kind of half in, half out, that's not good. But Shea certainly appears to be all in. Yeah, I think the country fell in love with him. I think hopefully maybe some of the misnomers about Dylan Brooks has changed in people's perception through this process on both ends of the floor, quite frankly, changes about him. And I think ultimately the perception of the program and where it can go uh, has changed. And lastly, before I let you go, uh, before you know, you're calling you know, balls and strikes and not basketball, 
yeah. What do you envision? We, we talk about always, you know, seeing where it could go. We saw people fall in love with Canada soccer. You know, quite frankly, we've, we've seen people fall in and out of love with Canada soccer. Uh, we've been a country that's rallied around our men's and women's hockey team, our junior hockey team. Now, this is basketball's opportunity. We, we saw what it did for the Raptors, but I, I fear sometimes we are a Raptors nation and not a basketball nation. What do you envision if this team gets on a run, captures our imagination at the Olympics? Will this be like in terms of the inspiration, the corporate sector being involved, the yeah. discourse and media? When you dream that dream, what does it look like? I think so. And, and I think the first step is that they qualified here. Uh, had they not qualified for Paris, even if they had won a last chance tournament next, you know, late June, early July, it would have been nine or 10 months of stress and anxiety and uncertainty. Now it's nine or 10 months of building and hopefully in the corporate sector as well and the roster and everything. So uh, again, whatever happens against the U S I think they've got momentum and I think they'll keep momentum. The uh, I'm with you a little bit on the Raptor versus Canada basketball thing. Some of my closest, closest friends are huge basketball fans. And a week before the World Cup had no idea it was happening. That's got to change. And I think what changes it is Olympic success, because in a number of sports, we are an Olympic nation. And it's funny, like, and as you know better than I, um, the World Cup is still, you know, nobody, no soccer fans, they don't miss the World Cup. They know when the World Cup is. But I think basketball, as basketball fans in this country, we're still conditioning ourselves to understanding the international calendar. They get it in Spain. They get it in Brazil. They get it in Lithuania. They understand all that. But I think our fans as a, as a whole, uh, most of them are still conditioning themselves to understand this. If this team does well in Paris, and I don't know exactly what I'm defining well as but say you know playing for a medal getting to the semis playing for a medal which would be a fantastic accomplishment i think that takes it permanently to an entirely different level where there's buy-in from everybody from the players from the corporate sector from the fans that's what i hope for just you know put it in our muscle memory make it part of our basketball calendar uh make it a big deal to the next generation there are a lot of 10 year olds dribbling around on their driveway right now who have watched some basketball over the last couple of weeks in a different way than they've ever watched it before. You know, um, so Kelly Olynyk can talk about 2000 and being a kid at his aunt's house and watching the game. I hope that in, you know, 12 to 15 years, you or I might be interviewing a kid who says, yeah, I remember Shea at the World Cup or I remember Shea at the Olympics. That, that's how you know that it's really working. Well, we'd love to see that. I mean, it certainly was the case for Christine Sinclair, who ended up playing with some of those players. And the Canada soccer side, love for that to be the case for Shea or RJ or Dylan on the basketball side. I'd also love for you to be able to sleep in sometime soon. So hopefully yeah. your, your young child uh, gives you a break. Uh, we're looking forward to your continued calls in both sports. And uh, my wish for you, because you've given us a gift to allow us to wake up with you every morning, uh, I hope your Packers get off to a good start this NFL season. That would be nice. It's funny, and I've, I've never said this. They're like third on my depth chart right now because there's so much else going on. My poor wife, she banished me to the guest room for the first time last night because I had to wake up at 2.45, and justifiably so. And then, like, today we were talking, and she's like, so when do they play Sunday, and what's the schedule? And then, like, you know, being the 
the the dopey male that I am, I dropped in. A, oh yeah, and the Packers play the Bears like right about the time I get home from the Blue Jay game Sunday. So God bless her. She's the most wonderful woman in the world. She puts up with all of this, but I think she's going to be glad uh, when it just calms down a little bit. Um, but who knows? Maybe the Blue Jays will give us some excitement this month. That would be that would be wonderful. We're all in favor of Blue Jay excitement and the Jays playing as long as they can. So uh, I I wouldn't mind being very busy deep into October as well. Yeah, just, just, we'll have to postpone that honeydew list that you have to get to into yeah. into October <laughs> for a bit. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much to Dan. Really gracious of him to slide us in given everything that he's doing, everything that he has on the go, the the amount of things that he's watching and a part of and the things that he needs to ask grace for from his wife. And God bless her. Uh, really nice of him to spend some time catching up with us and really getting me excited, not only for the next game, but quite frankly, for the next year plus and where this program could be. You can, again, watch on Sportsnet, on Sportsnet now, Sunday morning. And you can follow Dan at dshulman underscore ESPN is the handle on X, formerly known as Twitter. This podcast is currently known. It's going deep. You can like, favorite, share, subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. Leave a review. Just heard Dan Shulman. So you must have liked what you heard. And don't forget to share. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Canada basketball on a rise. We will rise early on Sunday, and then we'll be back here next week to break it down. Take care.